Hello, Emmanuel. This is Pastor Daniel. I wanted to, uh, throughout the month of December, start putting up some weekly Advent devotions uh, for you guys. And I really wanted to not just be out in kind of theory land of you know, talking about this or talking about that, but uh, this is a unique holiday. I am just really anticipating. Uh, it was already well difficult for many of us during Thanksgiving, where we usually have 20 or 30 people with cousins and everybody present, to only really have a handful of people there this year. Uh, Christmas will probably be the same, and I, I am anticipating it to be uh, more difficult than we probably even now initially realize. <clears throat> I think of just a year ago, uh, my daughter Lydia, her birthday is in December, and a year ago I had um, taken her to Philadelphia, to uh, the Macy's at the top level there they had last year, it was Charles Dickens land essentially, where they rebuilt uh, London from the 1800s in kind of miniature form, and they had all the different stations that had all the different scenes from the, uh, the Christmas Carol. And uh, we walked through it. We read a lot of the book throughout that little exhibit, um, um, exhibit. And then we went downstairs and saw the huge Christmas tree and the big pipe organ they have play some carols for us. And we went to uh, get some authentic Philly cheesesteaks and then went to Arden Theater in Old City to see a play. And it was great. And just to think that literally none of those things right now we could do. And her birthday this year was, was very different. And uh, I'm sure many of you can think about a year ago from now and uh, all the different uh, Christmassy Advent kind of gatherings that you would do with friends and with family and different trips that are either very difficult or almost impossible to do this year. And I know we're not alone in all those things. But um, a common thread that's going to be found, I think, throughout all this is the theme of, of isolation. This is going to be a more isolated holiday, and we are just simply not used to that. And so I wanted to create this devotional series actually called Facing Holiday Isolation. Uh, today, specifically, was going to be kind of laying the foundation of it which is uh, developing a theology of isolation and how to prepare a Christian response to it. So, um, as we are in this pandemic, uh, we all know that isolation has been more a part of our life than uh, we anticipated this year, and even more so than probably most of our life. And so, um, as we anticipate the sadness coming up, right, I, I wanted to get the scriptures and look, uh, look at them, right? Uh, this, the Bible actually has a lot to say about isolation and its counterpart, which is essentially, or this antithesis, which is community, uh, which is, you know, being with other people. Uh, you know, if, if there's a book that I have longed to write, which will probably never happen, but it will be on topics like this, on communication, on people being together, people talking to one another, uh, and actually developing a, a biblical, uh, yeah, theological understanding of, of communication. And this, that topic kind of overlaps with this one is isolation. You can't communicate, so you can't be in community with people if you are in isolation. 
right? And so I, I want to look at actual themes of isolation as they are uh, in numerous in Scripture using a method of what we can call biblical theology, which is essentially the uh, looking at the whole, looking at the, 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 the primary story from Genesis to Revelation and walking through that story to see what, what does that story have to teach us about isolation and about you know its antithesis, which is community. What can we understand about it? And, uh, and it may help equip us, well, hopefully it will help equip us with a response uh, to this very difficult time that we find ourselves in. So, in order to do this, we have to begin uh, where we must, which is Genesis chapter 1. At the very beginning of our Bibles, we see that everything begins with a God who is single, but at the same time, plural. Uh, even in the very beginning of our Bibles, in these verses, we find that God, um, he wasn't alone, because in and of himself, he is one, yet three. Uh, he is, by nature, not alone. He is in community with himself. Uh Therefore, God is not a God who isolates. By his nature, uh, it would be a sheer impossibility because uh, in his oneness, there is still plurality. We find this in the first few verses of Genesis chapter 1. We see all the, 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 the persons of God at work. We see in the beginning, God, the Father, created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And God said, words, let there be light. Now, Robert Alter, in his translation work on Genesis, he kind of gives us a different way to read um, that middle verse about the Spirit of God, which I think really puts this into uh, a good visual here. He says, the breath of God, the breath was hovering over the waters. The Hebrew word for spirit is the same as breath. And God said gives us the image that God almost kind of just breathed out creation. Just, he just breathed it out as he spoke it into existence. And of course, the famous verse, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And Hebrews chapter 1 says that all things were created through him, that is, Jesus. So God and his single plurality is at work together in the first chapter of the book in community with himself. But Adam initially, if you follow through the story, he was created alone. Uh, it was not until recognition of this in Genesis chapter 2 that it was recognized being alone for Adam that it wasn't good. He was with the animals as he named them, but he looked around and realized there, there's not an equal here. I'm seeing, you know, chipmunks and squirrels and elephants and this and that, but I, there's, no, there's no equal to me, to, to skin and bones, to humanity. There's no equal here that I feel in community with. He was in isolation. And God said that wasn't good. And then along came Eve, and it was then, and only then, that no longer Adam was alone. Then even in their togetherness, like God, they would also become one in the union of marriage. Genesis 2.24 says, The two shall become one flesh. So, so far we see God in community with himself and people in community with one another. And the ultimate thread that connects all of this is that humankind together, even two becoming one flesh, is living in community with God himself. 
So the serpent's work in Genesis chapter 3 had the effect of turning everyone against one another. And what you find is essentially uh, through the fall and through the entrance of sin, a natural desire to isolate from one another after sin entered our story. Adam and Eve, due to their nakedness, they hid from God. Isolation. They were scared of him, fearful probably because of his judgment, when the sound of his approach was heard in Genesis 3 verse 8. So isolation was really due to the fall. Isolation from God, that is. And the curse as it entered would actually then permeate humankind and have the effect of Eve desiring power over and against her husband, but he shall have it over his wife. The implication being in Genesis 3.16 is in that list of curses from God here. There is conflicts of power and authority between man and woman, further relationally um, isolating one from the other. Then we have exile. Exile, of course, is the ultimate isolation from God as they were kicked out of the garden. The theme of exile is continually found in the scriptures, all throughout the scriptures. We don't have time to go through all instances of that. But isolation from God is judgment from God. We were intended, created to be physically with God. And when we cannot be, we can call that judgment. Now, I can't make this, you know, this super long uh, devotion here, but... If we trace this further down the scriptures, we find that this exile theme is very powerful. Sin has essentially sent the whole world into exile from God and humans, even though we by nature desire to be with one another, and we are up and against one another in the fall. Violence is just another attempt to isolate yourself from someone else, like Cain did with Abel, violence being a result of the fall. His jealousy created in him a world where he could not fathom or imagine living with his own brother anymore. And as with all violence, the goal is either the removal of that individual, punishment or something that they have done, or a power play to control someone else. The lack of equality amongst people, in other words, is just yet another version of isolation when someone imagines they can oppress another people, right? Essentially, there is a separation between those two people, not operating or living amongst equal terms, one not in community with the other, but one taking advantage of the, of the other. We can, we can say it's a form of, call it social isolation. And with our final theological observation, here we find at the core of intentional social isolation is a self serving desire. Uh, Trimper Longman in his masterful commentary on Proverbs uh, translated Proverb 18's one, 18 verse 1 like this. The antisocial seek their own longings and they break out against all resourcefulness. Most translations have something like whosoever, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. With the idea being that when we push people out of our lives, and keep them from being equal to us in brother and sisterhood, we are rejecting whatever accountability that might come from their presence in our lives. There is something you don't want, something you do want, that perhaps you know is destroying you. 
but you don't care and you know that if other people were in your life long enough to see it, they will call you out on it in love. And you don't want that. That's at the heart of isolation. I've seen many a good friendships that come to this, many a good marriage fall apart and solid relationships uh, do so in like manner. And so what does all this have to do with the Advent season that we are in? Um, if you understand now, so far in our time, that uh, isolation is not part of God's design for us, uh, isolation from Him or from people, that even God in Himself is a plurality, right? And so us being in His image now represent God by being together and ultimately in marriage to becoming one flesh, this you know, a plurality and oneness. We see that God's design is for humanity and God to be in community with one another, and sin has broken all this up. Now, how do we respond when in a pandemic, for our own safety, that we must isolate each other uh, more than ever before? Maybe even perhaps not because of any selfish desire, but actually out of love for those who may be more vulnerable around us. Well, uh, Advent is God's answer to humanity's sinful condition. It's his answer of isolation from him, of ultimately being in a permanent state of exile from God due to our sin. Isaiah said in Isaiah 59 verse 2, he says that our iniquities have built barriers or a separation uh, between us and God. Our sins has made him hide his face from us. And so Advent is God's response by actually intentionally entering our world as one of us. He broke that isolation. He broke it um, by joining us, by walking amongst us. And the most amazing thing about this story is that we didn't really invite him to do it. Uh, he just showed up, right? He, of course, through prophecy, it was announced that he was coming, but he, when he showed up, it was unexpected, right? And even when he was walking around amongst us, um, we were still looking for somebody else, so much so that we crucified him. But still, God chose to chase after us and end this isolation from us and himself by joining us, walking around with us, coming to this earth, his first coming, taking on skin and bones, becoming the son of man or the true human, uh, living this life that um, Adam should have lived but sinned, a life that representative of, of, of true humanity and how things should have been. And so Advent reminds us of the lengths God went to actually be with us. And I want you to really consider that. The tremendous lengths that God went to to actually be with us. It shows us just how far he was willing to go to, to end this isolation, to bring us back to himself. And it serves as our example um, to how far we should go to chase after others, other people who themselves don't know God, or maybe themselves are in isolation um, and have no one in their life. We think of the parable of, you know, the, uh, of leaving the 99 to chase after the one, right? Um, it, it, this also serves as our example, the advent, of how we should consider our love for others and chasing after those around us. And so, as, as I end this first devotion, I'm going to uh, really talk specifically to this pandemic. Um, we've recognized that isolation is, is part of sin. We've recognized also at the beginning here the, 
um, almost a contradiction, right, of the holiday season being one where we, we naturally are with others. Like we want to be with people, celebrate this Advent season with other people, worship in mass with other people, eat good food and share meals with people, go out and go into the city and, and just enjoy this Christmas season with friends and family. Togetherness is what kind of labels this holiday season, as it rightly should, because the Advent season is about God being together with humanity, right? Um, how do we do this in this contradictory times when we can't um, easily be together in this holiday season? Um, how do we expect to flourish? And my, um, my answer is, I don't know. And I know that's extremely pastoral to say, but I don't know. Um, there's, there's really no golden formula. Um, the only answer I can think of, I love history, I love reading history and examining history. And I think of Ecclesiastes, right? Over the famous, there is a season for everything under the sun. Um, generations have seasons of, of war, right? Seasons of depression, economic depression, and seasons of pandemic. Um, I've been kind of somewhat obsessed with reading old archival newspaper articles and old sermons from the 1918 pandemic and seeing how the, uh, the, the, um, the church in 102 years ago responded to the pandemic. And it's just kind of feels like I'm reading stuff from today, right? Um, this, we aren't the first generation to have to face difficult things like this. But Advent still provides us with a reason to have hope. And I'm talking long shot here, big picture stuff here. Um, it's the same hope that we have when we see sin in this world, when we see the brokenness that exists with or without a pandemic. It's the hope that says none of this stuff is going to be forever. It's the hope that sustains us in times like this. It says Jesus' first advent is actually not his last advent. There's a promise of a second. And his work that was began 2,000 years ago will actually be fulfilled and accomplished in the second advent. And we see what that looks like in Revelation 21, which is the ultimate ending of all isolation between us, one another, and God by this. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, Revelation 21, 3 through 4. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Even death itself is the ultimate act of isolation. It's the ultimate punishment for our sin because when you lose someone, you can never um, in this life see them or talk to them again. Even just this morning I was at a funeral and it, it's just so, death doesn't belong, right? And we know this, and we hate death, and we know that one day it's not going to be here. And so as we face this time of isolation in our pandemic, number one, we have the availability of a hope that can sustain us through. This says this will not be forever, and one day there will be a world where nothing of this sort will be allowed to be here that will be forever gone away with. Um, but secondly, even of our hope in that future to come, we have today. We got to face. We got to live in today and right now. In the oncoming weeks throughout December, I want to walk through in this Advent devotion 
uh, devotion uh, time, uh, different topics that concern isolation and Advent and kind of start trying to put some rubber on the ground. How do we respond now? How can we really push through this now and examine Scripture, understand how do we respond? And so um, I think the Scripture has a lot more to say, but this is already long enough. And so I'll save the rest for next time. Um, the next devotion is going to be called uh, Mental Health, Isolation, and the Incarnation, as I think we have to really, day to day, as we face all these things on a holiday, really consider um, our mental health first and foremost as we kind of persevere through this. And that will be for the next devotion. So stay tuned, and thank you so much for joining.